This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Robin, um, my gorgeous wife, Lisette and I. We've been a part of Anchor for a bit over four years now. Um, with three beautiful girls who I'm crazy about, Scarlett, Josephine, and Olivia. And we've recently been on a family holiday in the US. Sadly, I had to come back a few weeks ago, and my family stayed in the US just to get some more quality time with the family. So you might say the last few weeks in our house has been strangely quiet. No little girls yelling, Daddy, when I come home. No sounds of little girls giggling, no yelling, no screaming, no fighting, no having to get up in the middle of the night, no changing dirty nappies. I've got to be honest though, I'm I'm missing my family and I can't wait till they're back in a week or so. Now over the last few years um, in my journey as a dad, a big part of that's been learning to disciple my girls, learning to point them to Jesus, to their daddy in heaven. Now, a big part of that is spending time in God's word together, talking with each other, praying together. But another way I'm hoping to share the truths of God's word with them is in song. It's something I've been working on. You might know it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. He who died, heaven's gates to open wide. He will wash away my sin let his little child come in now i don't know about you but for me that's about as deep as christian doctrine gets the love of god demonstrated in jesus death for us the trustworthiness of his word and our security as his people, his children. My message today is pretty simple. If you only hear one thing, hear this. You can't earn God's acceptance by trying really hard, but simply by trusting in Jesus' love for you. I'll repeat that. You cannot earn God's acceptance by trying really hard, but simply by trusting in Jesus' love for you. I'm going to be sharing um, some of what I've learned as I've been mining the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians, focusing on verses 11 to 21. 
Now, there's some debate about grammar in the passage, but essentially Paul's sharing out of the context of a story. So what better way to start than to start with the story he tells? I'll be reading from um, verse, chapter 2, verses 11 to 21 in the message. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. But when I saw that they weren't maintaining a steady, straight course according to the message, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. If you, a Jew, live like a non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem, what right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem cronies? We Jews know that we've no advantage of birth of a non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we're not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. And we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah. So that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Have some of you noticed that we're not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I'd be rebuilding the same old barn I tore down. I'd be acting as a charlatan. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Isn't it clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. So Paul just confronted Peter in public, called him a hypocrite, called him out 
for cutting out the non-Jewish members of the Antioch church and effectively said to him, Hey, Peter, who are you following, Jesus or these fools? Now, I'm pretty sure there would have been more than one person present thinking, Oh, did he just say that? Does he know who he's talking to? That's Peter. What was it about what was going on here that had Paul in such a half? One passage that might help shine a little more light on the issue is found in Galatians 5, verses 2 to 4 and 6. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Trying to be justified by the law, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I think this issue of trying to be made right with God or trying to be made acceptable to God is essentially what's at the root of Paul's problem with Peter's behavior. The point of Paul's rebuke was to help Peter and the others present see that underneath Peter's behavior, that had him regress back to Jewish cultural norms and looking to his identity as a law-keeping Jew for his sense of security, for his sense of standing in the community, and for perhaps even his standing with God. I think it's important to recognize that those two are connected. Our sense of standing with others and our sense of standing with God are deeply connected. And a perceived lack of acceptance can have us living by um, fear and ruled by lies. And I think... After a bit of digging, we can see um, Peter's behavior effectively a, a scramble to, to cover up the fear that's going on in his heart, inside our own hearts. Now, in my time, I've had to wrestle with a fair degree of insecurity. Growing up without a dad, a mum with ongoing health issues, being a skip in a neighborhood dominated by migrants. Over the years, I found myself looking for acceptance, looking for belonging in so many different places, and at times doing some pretty stupid things. One of the arenas, as I look back, that I can see this type of thing working out was in the school playground. Now, I think most of us can recognize that in the playground there's a pecking order. Or perhaps you might have experienced this, more like social cliques. You know, you have the cool kids, the sporty guys, the pretty girls. You've got the nerds, the ones who actually learn something in school. And then you might have the rebels, the ones who may not be doing so well in school, but they don't care 
They don't want to be there. Now, uniforms were pretty loose in our school, and a big part of the way you recognised who the cool kids were was by the way they dressed. And of all the cliques in the school, I wanted to be accepted by the cool kids. But there was a problem. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, so the chances of me being able to dress like one of them was pretty slim. At the time, my mum was a part of a, of a weekly Bible study. Um, she, she'd take us along with her. The grown-ups would do their Bible study thing in the living room. My brother and I would hang out in the bedroom. One week, I saw a brand new pair of new black Air Max. Wow. If I could wear them to school, wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe, maybe I'll try them on. Man, they fit. Maybe I can borrow them. And by borrow them, I actually mean steal them. I put them in my bag and took them home with us as we left. The next day, I took the shoes to school with me. I think I did my best to get there early. Went to the toilets, got out of my everyday shoes and into my new black Nike Air Max. I wore the shoes. People noticed. Nice shoes, man. I have my moment in the playground. At the end of the day, went back to the toilets, changed back into my everyday shoes, and went home. Not long after this, though, I ran into a problem. My mum went looking inside my school bag. And of course, she found the shoes. Where did these come from? <laughs> my moment of glory in the playground was over and I was now forced to have to deal with the fact that I'd stolen a pair of shoes and off someone at church. Mum took me to return the shoes, to apologise. I don't know that we were really welcome at their house um, after that. Now, my fear of not being accepted by my peers had me looking to a pair of shoes to provide what I lacked. I was hoping that the shoes would give me a sense of belonging, what, what I really yearned for deep in my heart. And my attempts to dress like the cool kids, it was a cover-up. Now, if I'm fair to Peter, we don't have all the details for what happened at Antioch. But if there's one lesson I think we can learn from the passage, it's that none of us, no matter how far along the journey we get, ever graduate from needing to trust in God's unconditional acceptance of us in Christ. Now, all that being said, I now want to move to, I think, the heart of um, Paul's message in the chapter. Galatians 2, verses 19 to 20. For through the law, that is through trying to keep the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
in responding to Peter's and the Galatians' sin, Paul lays out his own journey. He's been there. He's been the one who's messed up trying to earn God's acceptance, trying to earn God's love. And what was the antidote he discovered? Crucifixion. Jesus' crucifixion. And not just Jesus' death as a historical fact or a story, but Jesus' death in Paul's place. And to add to that, another layer, Paul's death with Jesus. He identifies Jesus' death as his own. I wonder if we feel the weight of Paul's perception of what happened at the cross as Jesus was tortured, as he suffered, as he died, an excruciating death. Paul looks to the cross as proof of Jesus' love for him. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, as I've approached this text, I found Paul's bold declaration more unnerving than ever before. But why, I find myself wondering. I've been married for close to a decade now, and three kids on, if I'm honest with you, marriage life and family, it'll bring both the best out of you and the worst. While I'm not so prone to look to a pair of shoes now for the sense of belonging that I crave, if I'm honest, I now find myself looking to my performance, to how much or how well I'm doing. A little over 12 months ago, we welcomed our third daughter into the world, Olivia. At the time, I was working full time, studying a day a week, leading a GC, and there were still other yeses, I was saying, outside of being a husband and a dad. And if I'm honest with you, really honest with you, the, the jump from two to three kids, it stretched us. And between that and my busyness, our marriage was suffering. The crazy thing was, though, it wasn't until I couldn't keep it up anymore that I began to see with any clarity what had been going on in my own heart and the toll it was having on my family. Underneath it all was an insecure little boy still looking for his acceptance in the playground. The thing is though, I'm not a little boy anymore. And this isn't any playground, this is my family. This is as real as it gets. One sleepless night, as I was nearly drowning in self-pity, I came to a realization. I can't give up. I can't stay in this place. This is the hill on which I am prepared to give my life. I needed courage like Paul to affirm I have been crucified with Christ. 
I'm not that little boy anymore. And I'm not defined by my shortcomings as a husband or a father. Jesus defines me. Henry Nouwen says this, when productivity is our main way of overcoming self-doubt, we're extremely vulnerable to rejection and criticism and prone to inner anxiety and depression. Productivity can never give the deep sense of belonging we crave. The more we produce, the more we realize that successes and results cannot give us the experience of at homeness. In fact, our productivity reveals that we're driven by fear. How do you feel about making a declaration like Paul's? I have been crucified with Christ. Today we've looked at the tension in the early church between a Jewish sense of identity and Jesus' message, the gospel. How circumcision and the law had become a thing of pride for the Jew. It had set them apart. It gave them their identity. The problem was, though, they were looking to it as proof of their acceptance with God. The problem was, it was only ever given to them to show them their need of God's mercy, their dire need of God's mercy, our dire need of God's mercy. None of us can live up to the perfection the law demands. No amount of work or trying really hard is enough to work your way to God. The law, the rules, they were given to point us to Jesus, to point us to the cross. Again, how do you feel about making a declaration like Paul's? And I don't just mean how do you feel about it when you're on top of the world, loving life and kicking goals. How would you feel about it when you've messed up? When you've lost your temper at your wife or your kids? Or when you're riddled with guilt over sin you've been wrestling with for years? Or for perhaps like Peter, when your pride is exposed as nothing but a mask for your fear? If you're anything like me, the last thing you feel like doing is making a declaration like Paul's. But one thing I'm learning is that often those thoughts of guilt, condemnation, self-pity, they're a hangover, not from booze, but from works, from trying really hard to earn what Jesus has promised we simply need to trust him to give us. The answer is to go to the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That pride that masks the fear at the root of your sin that sense of condemnation that might feel overwhelming in your darker moments, those negative thoughts that might flood your mind in seasons of depression 
or that insecurity that drives you to earn your sense of acceptance through your performance, it all needs to go to the cross. I'm discovering that reminding yourself and the enemy that your old self is dead is one of the best antidotes to so much of the funk in our hearts that leads us into sin. Make your declaration in the face of the accusation, in the face of the doubts, of the fears, of the lies. I'm not that person anymore. That person is dead. I'm not defined by my performance or by the things I have or by what other people think of me. Jesus came for me. He died for me that I might live, that his life might be seen in me. Regardless of the season you're in right now, whether it's a high or a low, whether you're feeling up or down, the Word of God declares that your ultimate welfare hinges on who Jesus is and what He has done. He has chosen you. He has set His love upon you despite the messiness of your story. This is the basis of your place as a son and daughter of the living God. Whose death was it that Jesus died on the cross? It was yours and it was mine and it was also our death with him. Death to fear and the pride that so often masks it, death to insecurity, death to guilt, death to shame, death to pride, death to self-righteousness and anything else the enemy would use to keep us bound by his lies. A death that paid the price for all our failings, all our attempts to be good enough apart from God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'd love it if we can just take a minute now. Just let those words run over in your mind. Make them your own. Make it your prayer. Make Paul's declaration your own. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're here today and you're yet to trust in Jesus, if you're yet to to give your life to Jesus, He's calling to you. Will you have the courage to respond? He's calling you just like He called His first followers. Come, follow me. Make this your prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. It's that simple. Jesus, I give you.